In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text today comes to us from Hebrews chapter 10, which reads like this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is our text. Dear friends in Christ, I've been thinking for some time how we ought to address the violence going on in our country And things have kind of come to yet another head, and so it was time to do it. Our electoral politics are certainly playing a part in this. The pandemic has acted like a sort of pressure cooker for this. And it's hard to say what things would look like now if they'd happened literally at any other time in our history. Now, I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, have seen the things that I've been seeing destruction of property, burning buildings, shootings, stabbings, rioting, looting, and much, much more. I also saw that people were constructing guillotines again, which kind of surprised me. It just so happened that I just finished reading an abridged and age-appropriate version of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities with my boys, and I was struck by the parallels between Dickens' portrayal of the unrelenting and oftentimes senseless violence of the French Revolution and what is happening now in our cities. While Madame Defarge is not sitting and knitting with her needles to write names on her cloth of those to feed to the guillotine, those found who are not in full support of the rioting and upheaval are bullied. Silence is violence, they say. Frankly speaking, I honestly believe that unless the violence is quelled, it will come here to Jackson County. Now, I hope that you're not expecting me to stand up here and give you a three-point plan as to how to put to an end all the ills that have so infected our society. I will not pretend to know the answer to political questions. I will tell you that in our opening hymn, we all sing, Trust not in rulers, they are but mortal, earthborn they are, and soon decay. Since mortals can no help afford, put all your trust in Christ the Lord. However, we can apply what the Word of God does say to us. Our lesson from Hebrews chapter 10 starts by reminding us of our status, that we have been redeemed by Christ. You are not defined by your sins, and God does not see you according to your sins. We have confidence to enter, then, into the holy places of God by that blood, by the blood of Jesus. 
The writer of Hebrews is trying to make a point for us about how Jesus is our great high priest who, by his self-offering, cleanses us to enter into the presence of our holy God. This, by the way, is a huge reversal of things in the scriptures. Do you remember Moses? How he had asked to see the face of God and God said, you shall not see the face of God and live. However, Jesus has redeemed you. Your sins do not separate you from God because God has separated your sins from you. Because of this, we may draw near to God without fear. The apostle even reminds you that we have a physical sign that gives us assurance that we may stand before holy God. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. What can so purify water to cleanse us both inside and out? Or, as Luther puts it in his small catechism, how can water do such great things? Here the apostle is calling you back to your baptism, where God, through the word, sprinkled your heart clean and washed you with pure water. This is no ordinary water. It is a blessed flood that is rich in grace and a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit. And here in the font, God reaches down into our creation in order to save you, to redeem you, to cleanse you by his blood. Now, the next part may seem a bit repetitive, but the apostle is emphasizing that Christ once and for all redeemed mankind from their sins by his death on the cross. Certainly, Christ died for all in order to redeem all. There is no more sacrifice necessary. But that you might have the full assurance that salvation that he accomplished for you was indeed given to you. He baptized you. Salvation is won at the cross, but he distributes it in our font. This, then, leads the apostle to rouse us into action. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. People loved by God. What should we be doing about what we've seen around us? Christ has certainly shed his blood and died for you, and you are baptized. Now what? The apostle says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, right now, is the time to be a confessing Christian. Now is the time to tell your friends and neighbors, especially those who are not churchgoers, that God has reconciled the world to himself through the flesh and blood of Jesus. Our world is in the throes of death, and there is only one thing that stops death in its tracks, and that is the cross of Jesus. 
In the death of Jesus, death is swallowed up. Jesus drinks the cup of death down to the bitter dregs, and there is no more left for us. We can hold this confession and boldly proclaim it to those around us because God, who made these promises to us, is faithful. He cannot and he will not go back on them, even when we are faithless. Most especially, perhaps, when we are faithless. God fulfills his word. Take, for instance, the people of Israel. They all but rejected the Messiah. But he came to redeem them nonetheless. Our world today has turned its back on the Lord of life. But God has promised that in the blood of Jesus, that he will be faithful to his promises, even if we must suffer for the name of Jesus. For what is the worst thing that can happen when you tell your neighbor about the hope within you? Will they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to? That's okay. It happens to me, too. Tell them that you'll look into it, and then you'll get back to them. You don't have to cover everything in one conversation. What if they get angry with you? Well, you have the fellowship of angels and archangels and all the company of heaven and all of your brothers and sisters in Christ here and spread throughout the world. Currently, thanks be to God, we don't have to fear for our lives. But Christians are under this kind of persecution in our own day. And they still tell others about Jesus, desiring that even their enemies would come to share in the salvation that Christ has won. Hold fast, he says. Hold on to it with dear life. For Christ has promised never to leave you. And he has promised to use the word that even you speak to plant the seeds of faith. Perhaps the final objection to be raised when the apostle urges us to do these things, he says, well, where do I get the strength to do this, especially if I don't know the Bible particularly well? Well, to that he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Where does the strength come from to do what the apostle says to do? Where can you hone your knowledge of the word of God? He says it is here in the gathering together of the church. It is here that he tells us exactly why in the third commandment he has commanded us to gather together. It is because he wants us to be stirred up in love and in good works, not just among each other, but also outside of the walls of this church and outside the confines of our family of the church. The church has been salt and light in the world since our Lord's ascension into heaven. And this is the reason When God gathers his people around his holy word, he works among us through the love that he poured out from his wounded hands and his side. He forgives us that we might love and forgive one another. He forgives the inexcusable in us that we might forgive the inexcusable in those things done to us. He teaches us what love and sacrifice are, that we would love and sacrifice those who do not love us. 
Jesus says in the Gospel of John, By all this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We have this love poured into our hearts through the word, as it is read and as it is preached. This love, which also grants us entrance into the holy place, is put into our mouths at the altar. Dearly beloved, as the day draws near, that is, the day of the return of our Lord Jesus to judge both the living and the dead, we cannot and we must not neglect to gather here. We cannot allow the fear that has gripped our society prevent us from gathering in this place. We have got to stop being afraid, lest our love for one another grows colder than it already has. For it is in this place that Jesus explicitly gives us the promise that he will stir us up to love and good works. And if we neglect gathering together, we give that up. And then we give in more to the hatred and violence that we are seeing all around us. So what should we do about what we are seeing? Let us enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Your hearts have been sprinkled clean by Jesus' blood, and your bodies have been washed with the pure waters of holy baptism. This is our confession, that we stand redeemed in Christ and in his innocent suffering and death. And we cannot be moved from it, not in life and not in death, because God has promised it to us and he is faithful. Here in this place, you hear of and receive the love of Christ, that you may love your neighbor even as you have been loved. And we, cannot prom- we probably cannot influence what's happening in Portland or Kenosha or in the capital. But by the love that marks us as Christ's disciples, Christ does and will work among us and our neighbors here in Jackson County. And he will preserve us until that day when he comes again. In Jesus' name. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding... Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.